Well, it's great that everyone's here and we are going to welcome the people on video as well because there will be some people who will be watching later on video and uh, those who are on live stream as well. We just want to welcome you and thank everyone who's come out. Thank you for coming. Uh, it's so important that you're here and uh, otherwise we, we couldn't uh, keep going. So we're, as you know, we've been on this theme of joy and uh, so I'm, I'm believing that today is going to be a day of joyfulness. I'm believing that today you're going to be able to say this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Uh, I'm just hoping this will be a happy day and I suppose that's in my head because William, I talked about William a bit last week about singing. Well he's moved on now and he's on to Oh Happy Day by Whoopi Goldberg and we have to play her at least once every night so my head's ringing of happy day so let's believe for a happy morning let's believe for a, an encounter with the risen christ i remember years ago whenever i was in, in my 20s reading i think it was matthew's gospel where after the resurrection jesus it says he met the disciples and in the particular translation i was reading i think it might have been Moffat or something it said uh, that when jesus um spoke to the disciples uh, it says in a lot of translations oh hail but actually the real meaning is oh joy and i just felt it was a bit like a high five you know the resurrection the joyfulness and you know this is the kind of god that we have a god who wants us to be full of of his joy and to know the power of that because our theme over these past weeks has been that the joy of the lord is actually your strength so we've been going through this uh, john's gospel from chapter 13 and we're working our way through to the end and last week we looked at how judas had never really committed himself truly to Jesus. He had never opened his heart to Jesus. And we saw that, that right to the end that Jesus showed him love and compassion and even gave him the dip of friendship as a, a last moment chance for him to allow Jesus to really come into his heart. But you know, Judas took the dip and he still kept his heart closed. And when your heart is closed to God, then the enemy has legal right to move right in. And that's exactly what we read last week, that Satan entered his heart. I think that's really so solemn and so scary that for people who close their hearts to Jesus and refuse to trust him as their saviour and their Lord, that there comes a moment where they will cross a line where, they, where their chance to receive, to have Jesus in their heart has, has gone and Satan will move in. And it says, and we read it last week, uh, that uh, it says that, that Jesus uh, went out into the night. You'll see in your notes I've written down, if we refuse the gift of salvation, there is reverently speaking nothing more that God can do for us. He has given us Jesus. He's given us the chance to have our sins forgiven. And he wants to come into our hearts and link us back to himself again, link us right back with the Father. But if we refuse that, then there is nothing for us eventually except to move into the night, which is so scary. Hebrews 10 says if we sin willfully, in other words, if we keep resisting God, uh, then it says after we've received the knowledge of the truth, when we know the truth and we still keep refusing, Hebrews, uh, Hebrews chapter 10 says that there remains therefore no longer any sacrifice for sin. And those are scary, scary words. So Judas never invited 
Jesus into his heart. He was part of the group, but he was on the outside of it. But now we're going to look at Peter, and I'm kind of going back a wee bit on some stuff we touched on last week, and then we're going to hop into chapter 14, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 14. And we're going to just see that uh, it's interesting. I read, read this chapter 13 to you last week, and actually during the week when I looked up uh, some of the references in the other Gospels to the same night. Did you know that on the same night, you can read about it in Luke chapter 22, this night that Jesus was with his disciples, on the very same night, do you remember they, they wondered who was going to be, who was the betrayer? Well, it tells us in, June, in Luke's Gospel that actually the, the disciples started to talk about that then. Well, then who's going to be the betrayer? And then the kind of change went on from that subject onto who's going to be the greatest? Can you imagine the night that Jesus is going to, it's the night before he's going to go to the cross. And his disciples that he has invested all this time in, that they're kind of talking about which of them is going to be the greatest. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And I've written in your notes that, that, that because of their attitude and because of what was going on that night, that Jesus warned them all about the possibility of stumbling, of falling, of letting themselves down a bucket full, we would say. And then Jesus warned Peter in particular, but Peter argued that he would not fall even if all the rest of the disciples did. And I've written in your notes here, Peter's attitude had changed from his first encounter with Jesus. Do you remember on the beach when he first, when, in Luke chapter 5, where we have the record of, of Peter first meeting Jesus? And do you remember Jesus did the miracle where there was all the fish in the, in the boat? And it says that Peter was just, he was so humbled, he fell on his face and said, Lord, depart from me because I'm a sinful man. You see the humility and what he was like at the beginning, but somewhere along the line as he has been, you know, spending time with the other disciples and like he was the, on the inner circle. So he probably was beginning to get a bit of a big head about himself. And after all, Jesus had called him. Do you remember he said, your name will no longer be Simon, but it'll be Peter, which means the rock. And I can almost see Peter kind of, you know, this night and, and they're all talking about who's going to be the greatest. And he's saying, well, it's, you know, it's a no brainer. Like Jesus called me the rock. You know, I'm the one. And, you know, you can see, can't you, you can get a sense of, of this pride and self-assurance that had crept into Peter's heart. But you see, here's the thing. Jesus was committed to Peter. Do you know why? Because Peter had opened his heart to the Lord. And Peter belonged to Jesus. And I want to talk to you today a little bit about how God, what, how God is committed to you and he's committed to me. If you have asked him into your heart, if you've opened your heart and you've asked him in to be your saviour and your Lord, you need to be reminded that he is totally committed to you. And he wants to work with you. And our title today is Moving Towards Joy. Because the, the gospel is all about moving. It's about being changed. It's about allowing God to have all of our heart. It's about being willing to move with God and to allow him to change us. And so we, we, we talked last week about how Jesus had prayed for Peter. Remember, I'm, I'm still haven't read anything because I'm kind of still going back on last week. But it's really important because I want to link up with this week. Okay, so he... Um, it's interesting that he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he would sift you as wheat. 
Simon, Simon. The Spirit-filled Bible uh, in the Bible notes says this, that possibly when Jesus called uh, Peter Simon, instead of Peter, which means rock, that Jesus may have been implying that the disciples, that, that this disciple, that Peter, was soon going to act in his old nature rather than in, in the new nature, the nature of the rock. He was going to go backwards. And how often, you know, we have, once we receive Jesus, we all know this. We know that we have an old nature and we'll have it until, you know, we get to heaven until we be with Jesus. But we have a new nature, we're born again, we have a nature where the Holy Spirit, we have the Holy Spirit who um, makes our, our spirit alive in God and we have the possibility of living the way God wants us to live because we're born again. So sadly, we can still go back and live in that old nature. Now, again, some stuff I've just written here because it kind of grabbed me this week. Apparently, the Greek word that Jesus used to get Peter's attention, whenever he said, Simon, Simon, Satan's desire to get you, the word that he used was in the Greek, I, I don't know how you pronounce this, but it's I-D-O-U, it sounds a bit like I do or something. Anybody learn no, no Greek? No. Okay, so it sounds like I, I, I do, I think it is. But the, this word is quite interesting because it doesn't just mean pay attention. Apparently, we haven't got any word in the English language that has the same force as this word. Jesus was actually trying to grab their attention. And what he was saying was, look, stop. This is vitally important. Stop, pay attention. What I'm gonna to say to you is vitally important. And so Jesus wanted to tell Peter that Satan wanted to, to sift him. And, and again, apparently, some stuff I've learned this week, there were two kinds of sifting in the Old Testament. There was a big, big, big sieve that was for really the, the taking out the chaff and the wheat. And then there was a finer one which would take out impurities like flour. And you see, Jesus was saying, the devil himself, Satan, wants to sift you. Now, when I thought about this, it seems to me that, you know, that that big sieve that, big sieve that would, would separate the chaff from, from the, 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 the wheat, that that's almost a picture. Now, this is just me thinking, it doesn't tell us this, but it's almost to me a picture of, of separating, you know, Judas where he, he, he did not belong to God. He had, he had, never, he had never entered into, into fellowship, true fellowship with God. And almost he was like that big sift where he was totally chaff. But to me, it's almost like the smaller sift, which is like, you know, sifting flour, where you get the lumpy bits, just, you know, when you're making an apple tart this time of the year. Uh, thank you, Esther, for your lovely apples, for the apple tarts. But you know, when you sift the flour, there's little lumpy bits that are left. And it seems to me that's what, that's what Satan, that's all he could do because apparently the word that's used again in the Greek for Satan has asked or Satan has demanded is a, a, a certain type of verb. It's an aorist verb apparently, which means that it was, he would only be allowed to do this once. You see, you and I need to know that Satan just hasn't got free range into our lives that God, God's in control. And, and Satan had to ask God, he had to ask for permission to actually sieve or sift Peter. 
And you see, Satan was trying to bring accusations about Peter. He was trying to show all of Peter's lumpy bits, you know, all the lumpy bits, all the bits that weren't so nice to see, all the pride and the arrogance and, and whatever else there was in, that, had, that, that he had taken on in his old nature. You know, that's what the enemy does to you and to me. He condemns. He's an accuser. One of his names is the accuser. And he wants to actually shake your life. And he wants to show you how rotten. And and listen, there's not one of us different because we've all got bits that aren't so nice to see and things that we've done and things we've said and and stuff in the past that the enemy would try to bring up up and, and accuse us with. But here's the thing. God is for you. He's not against you. And God actually wants to use this to sift you. Because the question I asked myself was, why did Jesus not pray, you know, for, this, for, for the enemy not to be able to do this? Why did, the enemy not, why did Jesus not, not pray that, this, that there would be no sifting? Why did, he, why did he just stop this? Why did he allow Peter to be sifted? Well, the answer is that Jesus knew that Peter needed sifting. Now, again, I've written a quote here from the WordPress. Here's what it says. Jesus did not pray for the sifting to be stopped or controlled because Peter needed sifting, and so did the others. Think of Peter arguing at that table. Jesus saw the brashness, the overconfidence, the self-dependence, and Jesus understood that if Peter was to become the leader, the servant leader that Jesus wanted him to be, then Peter needed sifting. I think that is a very, very interesting piece of, of information, an interesting insight. And you see, here's the thing. God knows what's ahead of us. God knows what's behind us. And God's in the business of turning what the enemy means for evil. He's in the business of turning it for good, of actually changing us, of moving us from where we are and moving us into where he wants us to be. Because God is on the move. He's a God of movement. He's a God who wants us to know the thrill of walking in step with him. And and I love the fact, we're going to turn it over now into chapter 14. We finally got there. But John 14, I love the fact that after all of this, that that Jesus then gives these wonderful promises in John chapter 14. Let me just read it to you again, and we're going to go through a, a bit of this chapter right now. Let not your heart be troubled. Now, this is just after he's told Peter, you know, you're going to be sifted. You're going to go through a bit of a trial here. You're going to be tested. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now, there's like three things that kind of grab me in these verses. First of all, that Jesus said not to let their heart be troubled. You know, it absolutely amazes me that God wants us to to have peace in the midst of a storm. And you know, often it's when we're going through the greatest troubles that we can experience a peace that is like supernatural. I mean, I, I know that myself, and I know that many of you know that as well. Often going through grief or, or terrible 
hard times and difficult situations, often that's the time that we just find that peace in the midst of it. And that's what Jesus wants us to have. He wants us to know the peace of God. And he wants us to know that that there's a way back. You see, he says, let not your heart be troubled. He was giving peace. But he wanted them to know that, that, that there was a way back to the Father. I've written your notes, what an assurance to know that Jesus prays for all God's children and that there is always a way back to the Father for forgiveness and peace. You know, sometimes, sometimes stuff happens and, and if you're anything like me, there's lots and lots of times in your life, and maybe not just a long time ago, but maybe, maybe recently, where you just feel you let God down, or you feel you've done something in a way that you really regret, or that something's happened and you lost your temper, or whatever it is that you just feel you let God down. Do you know, we need to know that there's an immediate way back. There's an immediate way back. I was reading a bit over the summer uh, about, from a guy called John Wilder, and he's a neurotheologist. Uh, that means he knows a lot about the brain and he knows a lot about the Word of God. And he's a very interesting character. But he says that one of the first things that a child needs to learn as a baby, as an infant, he, he talks about how the infant bonds with the mother through eye contact and through following the mother's face. And how the, this attachment takes place from the, the face of the mother smiling, I want to be with you, I love you. This bonding that we talk about takes place in infancy. But how even in a very young child, there comes a time where, where the child knows that even if it's put its pants or whatever, that, that, that mum will, will still be there. That, that she might get a bit flustered and have to change an appy or get a bit flustered. But that mum will always be there to say, I love you, I will be. I am with you, I'm here, I haven't gone. There's this bonding that takes place even with, with small babies. It's exactly the same for us. John Wilder talks about how as believers, when we, when we come to Jesus and we, we receive him into our heart, we look into his face and we bond and he bonds with us and, we, and there's a bonding goes on. He talks about you know, an attachment, that we become attached. To, to God himself. I mean, isn't that amazing that we look into God's face and, and, and he attaches to us and we attach to him and there's a bond there and that we need to learn early on in our Christian walk that when we mess up, there's a way back. There's a way back. And that's what these verses were saying. You know, believe also in me. In my, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus was offering peace, even when things go wrong, that we can have peace. And, and we need to know that not only can we have this peace in our hearts right now, but we can know that, that Jesus is already right now preparing a place. So there's three things mentioned in these verses. The peace of God right now, the place that he's preparing for us that we're going to, and the third one is the person that we will be with him. I wrote in your, in your, in your notes here, what a joy to know that we will one day be with God in person in the new heaven and the new earth, and we will be like him. 1 John 3 uh, verses uh, 1 to 3. Let me just read this to you um, because 
I, I love the way John, as an old man, uh, writes. And here's what he says. Remember, jo John was listening to all of this. John was there on this particular night. And here's what he says. Here's what he wrote as an old, old man. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now, right now, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, that's Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as Jesus is pure. John caught something that night that Jesus wanted us to move into greater likeness to Jesus, to become more like him, more pure like him, to, to realise that we are his children, that we are attached to him and that we're going to be with him, that we would actually live with this hope and this joy. This is what John had caught that particular night. And then as we go down and read through this chapter, um, it says in verse 4, Jesus said, where, you, where I go, you know, and the way, you know. But Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, none of us would have had any hope, no hope at all in this world or in the world to come if it wasn't for the fact that Jesus came to be the way, to be the truth, and to show us the life. He, life is in Christ. God is the author of life. And, and Jesus said he came to give us that abundant life that he talks about in John 10. He's to get, he said he came to give us life and give it more abundant, or if you like, I think the modern translation is to give life to the full. God wants you and me to experience life to the full, not just getting by, not just, oh, I'll put up with it another day. You know, life is not meant to be a drudgery. Life is meant to be a walk with God. It's meant to be, it's meant to be walking his way. It's meant to be walking in the power of his resurrected life. And it's meant to be, it's meant to be a life that is full of his truth that we walk. You know, walking in the light is the same as walking in God's truth. And Jesus is the, 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 the life, he's the truth, and he's the way. And so Jesus had immediately promised them this, this peace and this place that they, would, that they had up ahead and that, that he would be the person who would be with them. And then as we read on in verse 7, Jesus goes on to talk then, If you had known me, you would have known my father also, he says. And from now on you know him and have seen him. And then Philip, one of the disciples, says, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll, that'll be sufficient for us. But Jesus said, have I been with you so long, and yet you've not known me, Philip? Now, here's the key words I want you to grasp. Here's what Jesus said. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. 
I wanted you to grasp those just those couple of verse, couple of lines there in verse ten, where he says, "Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me?" Now let's read on down a wee bit just to verse twelve. Most assuredly, Jesus said, "He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also." Now, I just want you to grasp this. Jesus is saying. I've come to this world. When you see me, you see my Father. You see, it's God three in one. The Father, Jesus came in skin to show us the Father, to show us what God looked like. And he's emphasizing this point. And then it says in verse 12, whoever believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. And listen to this. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. I want you to listen to this last verse, verse 14. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. I, I just can get so excited about this. Because Jesus came to give us authority. Jesus came. He was Father God in flesh. When you saw Jesus, you saw who God was. And he came to not only die for our sins, but he came to give us the authority that we could actually do his works, that we could live for him, that we would have the power to, to live for him. And then he goes on to say in verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. All of this is around love. I was talking to somebody recently and they said to me they found it very interesting that when John writes his gospel, he keeps you know, popping from one thing and then he'll, another few verses down, he'll come back to it again and it's like kind of going right in circles. And this is a bit like it because in chapter, the previous chapter, he talked about keeping, my, if you love me, keep my commandments, love one another as I have loved you. And it's the same thing again because listen, this all really revolves around love, around, around, around us having Jesus in our heart and allowing his love to flow through us. And as we allow his love to flow through us, he wants to actually do his work through you and through me. Now, that's fine, you say, and, and here's the, there's more to it, because we need to read the next couple of verses, because you know what? Jesus knew that the disciples couldn't actually do this at all if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. That's why the next verses are absolutely key, and we're going to finish off with those today. Here's what it says in verse 16. Jesus said, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Now that word another is one of the same. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all moving together in unity. And the Father is going to, going to, going to call now, going to ask that the Holy Spirit will come. He will give you another helper. Now that word helper is it's it's a word that means one who will come alongside you it means a teacher it means um it means a, an advocate one who will stand up for you one who will be your comforter one who uh, I, I think this is very interesting if you look down just i know we're kind of running ahead of ourselves but just look down to, to chapter 14 down to verse 26 it says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. What does that mean? 
It means that whenever you need to remember something, the Holy Spirit knows how to bring it back to your mind. I'll tell you, uh, during the, in the early hours of the morning, I was lying in bed and I was praying about this morning. And I was saying, Lord, you know, I'm a bit of a hall over the place for this message and, and I, need you, I need you and I don't really know, I haven't any smart stories or anything really. And, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm getting a bit frantic here. And I just felt like God say, what about the helper? What about the Holy Spirit? And I remember this particular thing that the Holy Spirit can bring thing, things to your remembrance. I hear so many people saying, I can't remember anything. Listen, the Holy Spirit can bring it to your memory. He's a memory prodder. He's a teacher. He's a wonderful teacher. He knows how to bring stuff that maybe you learned years ago. And he knows, he knows how to bring even memories that are key to unlock uh, stuff in your life. Times in the past where, where God moved and you've forgotten about it. The Holy Spirit is able to actually jog your memory and teach you from things that happened in the past. I mean, is that not amazing that we have a God who's such an amazing teacher? A God who loves us and wants to teach us. He's a parent. He's a father God. You know, a parent, a true parent is also a teacher. We teach our children, don't we? And so Jesus is saying, you know, I just want you to know that, that I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. I know you can't do this, guys, on your own. I know you can't do the works that I do on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. I know you can't love each other uh, the way I love you unless you have the Holy Spirit. But hey, Father God is sending him. He's coming and he's going to, he's going to be with you and he's going to teach you and he's going to comfort you during those times you need comfort. The Holy Spirit will be right there and he'll comfort you and he'll bring things to your mind because he's a wonderful advocate. He's one, an advocate is just somebody who speaks up for you. You know, a solicitor in a court is an advocate. The Holy Spirit's your advocate. He speaks up for you. He, he wants you to know that, that you're not under condemnation. He wants you to know that Jesus paid the price for your past and your present and your future. And he wants you to know that you are free to do these amazing works that God's prepared for you to do from before the foundation of the world. And you can read that in, in Ephesians chapter 2. This is the thing that God, God wants us to know that he is for us and that he has sent us the Holy Spirit. John 3, you know whenever Jesus met Nicodemus, it's interesting that when he met Nicodemus, he told him, if you, if you read John 3 when you go home, you'll see that he, he told Nicodemus that, that we're born of the flesh, that's our first birth, but we need to be born again of the Spirit. And when we, when we come to know Jesus as Saviour, when we get we, the old-fashioned word, which I think is an amazing word, when we are saved, we actually are born again of the Holy Spirit, makes our old dead spirit that was dead because of sin, makes it come alive and there's part of us that now responds to God. When you trusted Jesus, you were, you were reconnected to heaven. It was like a spark. You know the way you put two sparks together and the, the, the way electricians will jump if they haven't got the right thing? You know that? You're, I mean, I'm very careful about electric. Well, it reminds me of you know, being reconnected to, to God. is like that. It's like a spark where the life, the electric, if you like, goes through you and, and you actually are linked into heaven. You're linked to your Father God. You are attached to him and you're never going to be separated from him. And, and, 
And not only are you attached to him, but he, he wants to teach you now because he wants you to grow up and he wants you to mature and he wants you to start doing those things that he has prepared for you to do. You see, he had plans for Peter. And he knew that Peter, he knew the enemy wanted to destroy Peter, but he, he knew that Peter needed this bit of sifting, this bit of a shake, because he was going to show the impurities and, and Jesus was going to use it to prepare him to be the man that he needed to be if he was going to be that that humble servant, that guy who was going to stand up on Pentecost and, and, and without fear preach the word. He wasn't always going to be, uh, you know, letting God down and denying him. But he needed to go through this shaking and he was going to get, he was going to get a big scare. I just want to read quickly through this and then I want to finish off with Peter. Jesus went on to say, verse 18, After telling them he was sending the Holy Spirit, he said, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. You see, an orphan, an orphan is someone who doesn't know the true love of a, of a father and a mother. Do you know that God is both father and mother? And we could go down often a bit of a tangent here, but we'll not. But believe me, we can show you in the scriptures. He is both Father God and he's also a mother's heart, the El Shaddai. One of his titles is the God of the breast. And I want you to know that Jesus, Jesus wants you to realize that you are not a spiritual orphan. A spiritual orphan is someone who is insecure, someone who, who um, holds on to hurts and feels that people are always putting them down and feel that, you know, they've got this kind of poor me complex. An orphan spirit holds on to offences instead of forgiving freely the way their heavenly father forgives them. An orphan spirit <coughs> is often rebellious. They're afraid to come under any kind of authority because they've been hurt by authority. And so an orphan spirit is often rebellious against God and against godly authority and fearful. An orphan spirit is, is fearful of where the next bite's coming from. An orphan spirit doesn't understand that God is their provider and their protector. They live in fear. An orphan, orphan spirit um, fears discipline because they don't understand the heart of the, of the Father means that discipline brings, brings them into greater joy and freedom. That if you, don't, if you don't discipline, you don't love your child, they don't understand godly discipline. They don't understand the, the blessings and the privileges of, of God's correction in our lives. Often spiritual orphans are suspicious, they're self-seeking, they're immature, they can be greedy and, and even jealous and, of other people's gifts and always wanting to have what somebody else has and never satisfied with who they are themselves because they don't know who they are. They don't know that the Father loves them the way they are. So they're totally insecure. So they can kind of, the orphan spirit can go from insecurity and feeling unworthy to feeling the opposite, to being superior and, and to um, feeling a sense of entitlement and, and, and pride. And so this orphan spirit is something that God doesn't want. Orphan spirit feels there's not enough blessings to go around. I have to get, I have to get before anybody else. They don't understand that their heavenly father has more than enough for everybody. The orphan spirit it has to always be right, has to always get the last word. They don't understand that their father is always teaching them and loving them and wanting them to grow. They don't understand the heart of their father. And so when we, when we think about this, um, we, we realize that, that, that God, 
Jesus wanted his disciples to realise that they needed to grow and they needed to be rid of this orphan spirit, that the Holy Spirit would teach them and help them to change and that they would no longer have this orphan spirit, but they would realise who their heavenly father was. Can you imagine Peter that night? He's heard all this teaching. He's heard about the Holy Spirit and his heart still isn't really changed. He's still full of himself. Well, the rest of them can let you down, but I certainly won't. I mean, I'm the mature one here. I'm the one that's been, you know, your right-hand man all along here. So like the rest might do it. How often do we have an attitude? And actually, it's not maybe just as overt as that, but, but, but often there's something in us that thinks, you know what? They, that lot could, could do that, but not me, you know. I'm made of better stuff than that. You know, how often there is that thing of pride in us. And poor old Peter, he was going out that night and he had, he had all this teaching and we're going to see there's even more teaching he had. And yet when it came to the time, we will see as we go through this, he was going to deny Jesus. What did Jesus say? We read it last week. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you that he might sift you as wheat. And then Jesus told him, do you know what, Peter? You say that you're not going to let me down. You're not going to deny me. Well, I'm going to tell you something, Peter. Before the cock crows three times, you'll have, before the cock crows, you'll have denied me three times. That must have been a hard hitting for Peter. But he didn't actually take it on board. He didn't actually believe it. And we're going to see over the next few weeks that actually that is exactly what happened. But here's what I wanted to finish with. Jesus told Peter, and I, I, I got this piece of information from Laura, who's here somewhere. She sent me this through the week, and I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Jesus told Peter that he would deny him before the rooster crowed. You see, every morning, the rooster announces the light that follows the night. And that is why, in Christian tradition, the rooster symbolizes Christ. I, I had never heard this before. I know that there's often lots of other animals that, that we talk about the Lamb of God and there's lots of other examples where in Christian tradition where, where, where animals were symbol, symbolic of Jesus. But you know, I just love this because you see, every morning, I have a friend in Romania and um, I would ring her up. She lost her husband there a few months ago and uh, I'm very close to her and I would ring her often on video. And she lives away out uh, in the country on a farm. And as we are talking on the phone, I can hear the roosters crowing. You know, you can hear the farm animals really clear coming across right from Romania. And you see, every morning, isn't it amazing creation? Every morning the rooster crows, hey, the night's gone and the morning's coming. And I just think it's, it's, it's not by chance that Jesus said, you know what, you'll deny me three times before the rooster. Now, we know later on, whenever we come to this bit, we'll, we'll, we'll see that, that when Peter did deny Jesus and he heard that rooster, it was like condemnation. You know, do you remember what, he, what it says? It says, when Peter heard the rooster crowing and he turned round, Jesus was just being led out. It tells us, I think it's Matthew's gospel. And it says that the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And it says, Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Have you ever wept bitterly because you let God down? I have. I have, I have wept bitterly because I really let God down. 
But you see, the, the rooster crowing was a sign of condemnation on Peter. But the rooster crowing for, for God, for Jesus, it was a sign that, hey, the night's, the night's going to pass over. You're coming into a new day. It spoke of hope. I just feel this morning that there's some of us who, who feel that, that our lives just have remained the same, same old, same old, never going anywhere. And you know what? With all that's happening in our world today with COVID, I believe that God's saying, you know what? I want to shake you up a little bit. I want you to know that I want to change you. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know that, 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 that I have things I want to do through you. And I'm, I'm telling you to ask me and talk to me about them because I have things for your life that are important. And I believe, I believe there's a, a real sense of God speaking to us this morning to say, look, don't look back on your failures. Know that I have, I have paid the price for complete cleansing. Ongoing cleansing is the, is the, 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 the verb that's used in, in Ephesians, I think it's chapter 5, where it talks about ongoing cleansing. And, and, and I believe this morning that, that God's saying to us, look, why don't you forget about the, the past? And why don't you know that, that it's been dealt with? And why don't you allow me to change you? And through the experiences in your life that you thought were so bad, why don't you let me show you how I can change you through those things so that you can actually move out of the night experience into the light, into the new day. I have a sense that, that we are on the brink of a new day spiritually that God wants to do a new thing among us. And I believe this morning, as I'm speaking here, it's like I'm the rooster crowing. I'm telling you, listen, there's a better day coming. And, and, and it said, I wrote in your notes here, there was hope for Peter because he belonged to God. He was going to come through this. Different to Judas, Peter would move out of the night and into the light. He would be changed to be more like Christ because of the sifting. And that is what Jesus prays for you and me. Whatever sifting you have gone through, or you might even feel that you're going through something right now that's difficult. Listen, you need to know that God will use that, that God will use that to move you, to bring you to where he wants to bring you. As I, as I thought about Peter and thought about this, this morning that the, that the rooster was, was, uh, was heralding, when, he, when the rooster crowed, he was saying, the light's about to break forth. And um, I just thought of this, this verse in Psalm 30, where it says that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. I tell you, folks, if you're in the middle of a hard time, God can be with you in the midst of it. And he can give you a comfort of the Holy Spirit and he can teach you through it and he can do all that, that, that he wants to do. If you're open to receive it, God can, can actually give you the experience of a lifetime through your most difficult hour. I tell you, that is the truth. I know it's the truth because I've experienced it. And you know what? Jesus wants to see you moving. I've written it as a last thing in your notes. Are you really aware that Jesus prays for you and he longs to see you moving to be more like him, to love the way he loves, to be available to do his work? I've written here, and this, I'm, I've written this into your notes because God has really impressed this on me, and I'm going to finish with this. 
Do you realize that God wants you to be available, not just to pray to him, that's a wonderful thing to do, but to actually pray for others and to actually speak into the lives of others. If you, if you see the way Jesus did that, he went and prayed for Peter. He realized that Peter was in trouble. He went to pray for him. And at the right moment, Jesus came and spoke into Peter's life. And I believe that God wants us to be alert, that actually we can do the same for other people, that we would be available to pray for others and speak into their lives, that we would be strengthened ourselves, but we would also see other people strengthened. A couple of things before we finish. Peter, um, when he was older, wrote a couple of letters in the New Testament. And here's just a few random verses that God brought to my mind this morning. Here's what he says in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, You're kept by the power of God through faith, ready to be for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. See, Peter knew what it was to go through that trial. And I think it was Nicky Gumbel's daily reading this morning talked about how if we want to have a testimony for God, I know it's a kind of an old-fashioned word, but it's a biblical word. If we want to have a testimony to speak up for God, then we will have to go through some tests. The testimony comes out of the test. And Peter went through the test. And here's what he said. He said, God's going to keep you through that test. And he said, you can greatly rejoice, not just rejoice, but you know, not just be joyful, but be really joyful is what Peter's saying, even whenever you're going through various trials. And then over in chapter, uh, chapter 4 of 1 Peter, he goes on to say, Beloved, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Peter went through a, a fiery trial. But he says, don't think that's strange. But he says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Rejoice, rejoice. Listen, there's a rejoicing in all of this. And, and there's a, a place and a time to, to lift your eyes and say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm just having a difficult time here, but I'm going to choose to lift my eyes, to look into your face, and I'm going to choose to trust you and to allow your Holy Spirit to help me and take me and change me. Do whatever you need to do. You know, it's amazing how God sometimes speaks to you before a trial comes. That's what, that's what Jesus did here with Peter. He spoke to him before the trial came. I remember one time in my life, I, I can't go into the details because they're, they're quite private, but I remember one time God gave me that verse, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is about to try you. And you know, it did come, but I was prepared for it. God's amazing. He speaks to us through his word. That's why I get so excited about the word of God. That's why I keep saying, please, get into the word. Ask the Holy Spirit to make the word alive. Remember, the Holy Spirit's your teacher. He's the one who will bring things to mind. You think, oh yeah, that links with that in the Old Testament. He will teach you. He'll make the word alive to you. He'll get you excited about it. And so there's a couple of things, just as we finish. I know I keep saying, many times have I said just as we finish. But anyway, there's this last wee bit that I really did want to say. And it's about praying for other people because I got this from the WordPress and I just printed it off because I just thought this was, this was pretty amazing. Maybe you know someone who's facing a crisis. 
Perhaps a loved one is right now experiencing the violent jolt of Satan's sifting. What can you do to help that person? And here's the answer. Give God the opportunity to reveal heavenly and earthly events to you. In other words, talk to God about that person and about the situation. God will show you, it's possible for God to show you the need of that person. It's possible for God to show you even how to pray and how to speak into their lives. If your friend is unplugged and separated from her source of strength, maybe you can throw out a lifeline. You know, maybe you can do something practical, but more importantly, maybe you can get down on your knees the way Jesus did and plead to God for that person. Maybe you can pray the prayer that she needs to pray for herself, but she's not able to right now. And don't stop there. It goes on to say here in, the, in, the, in this printout, Jesus invites you to do the most important thing of all. When the time's right, share your prayer with this person. Tell them you've been praying for them and tell them what you feel God has been saying. Give your friend the same model that Jesus gave Peter. Demonstrate an attitude of humility. Reveal your friend's need and express your complete confidence in her heavenly father's ability to meet that need and to use this situation to strengthen her relationship with him. As a wee footnote here, don't be surprised if you fail to see an immediate change and don't be upset if your loved one at first rejects your offered prayer. Remember Peter's initial response to Jesus' prayer. He wasn't going for that prayer at all. Jesus used, God used Jesus' prayer not only as a lifeline but as a glimmer which later on helped Peter. It was a glimmer in the dark night when Satan had a total eclipse of his faith where he felt he had blown it. The prayer that Jesus prayed was so important to him. He survived the storm. Peter turned. Jesus said, not if you turn, but when you turn. Listen, I'm, I'm just going to keep on reading here because I can't stop because this is too good. Jesus models for Peter a quiet, rock-solid confidence regarding the outcome of these events. Jesus' confidence stems from his private prayer. During, during Jesus' prayer time, God revealed to his son more than just Satan's demands and Peter's need. God also revealed how he himself would use Satan's sifting and Jesus' prayer to change his relationship with Peter. To Satan's infinite frustration, I want you to get this before I finish. To Satan's infinite frustration, the very act of sifting, which Satan had designed to crush Peter's faith, that very act would serve as the means by which Peter would not be crushed, but changed. Changed from brashness to, humil to humility, from self-dependence to God-dependence, from a self-deceiving blindness to an honest vision of God's ability to accomplish mighty works through someone who had failed completely on his own. It was a change that would reshape Peter's heart and soul. It was a change that would enable Peter to return and plant the other apostles in the rock-solid concrete of an immovable faith. Knowing this, Jesus tells Peter, and when once you have turned back, when you've turned back to me, strengthen your brothers. Not if you turn, but when you turn. Jesus was certain. 
Do you know, we can pray for people that we care about. We can pray for people around us with real confidence that God hears. I have been really struck recently about how it brings joy to my heart when I think about somebody and I just start to talk to God about them. I'll tell you, we're talking about joy this weather. Before I sit down, I want you to grab this. There is joy to be had in praying for other people. There is a joy to be had when we take our eyes off ourselves and we start to talk to God about this one and that one. And we ask God, how should we pray for them? What's going on? Would you give me a word, God? What would you want to say to that person? How can I pray? And begin to realize that we can talk to God about what's going on in their lives and the difficulties they're having and know that God's doing, he's doing something behind the scenes that we can't even see. I'll tell you, that gives such a joy. It gives such a lift whenever we do that. And so as we finish this morning, uh, I just feel that, that this is a morning where I'd love to pray over you. I would love to pray over you that whatever you're going through right now, that you would know that God is actually, his plans are to use it, that Jesus as your great high priest is actually praying for you right now, that whatever the circumstances in your life are at this moment, that God wants to use them to shape you and mould you and prepare you so that you will become more like him, so that you will be ready to do those works that he has called you to do, so that you start to ask him about things. You know, the trouble is we don't ask. That's what James's little epistle says. You know, you don't, you don't receive because you don't ask. We need to start asking God for the wisdom, asking God for what's happening around us and what it means. Ask the Holy Spirit and he will show you things. He will reveal things. He's a teacher. He's the helper. He's the one who comforts you if you're getting it difficult at the moment. He wants to comfort you. And listen, all of this is about joyful living. All of this is about moving into joy. I realise I've gone past my time. So I'm going to just finish with a quick prayer and I'm going to pray over all of you. Father, I just want to pray over everyone in this room and even those who are watching by video. And I just pray in the name of Jesus that there would be a shift. Not, not so much, Lord, the sifting, but I pray for the shifting. I pray, O oh God, that you, will, that you will shift us and move us into where you would have us be that you would give us eyes to see that there is ministry all around us, that when we turn to you, that you show us how to be strong ourselves and you strengthen us and you, because you make us more joyful, because the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And I just speak over you, ladies, that you will find more joy in your lives and that, that as you begin to prove the teaching that we've done over the last few weeks, that you will find that joy giving you strength and that as you go out of here, that you will have a sense of God speaking into your heart, that there's certain people he wants you to strengthen. There are certain people he wants you to pray for. He wants you to become more like Jesus, and he wants you to be available to do the works that he has called you to do. So I just speak over all of you in this room right now, and I pray that you will know that peace that God can give uh, that is past understanding and that you would understand that there's a purpose to your life that is absolutely amazing and that you would actually begin to step out into the purposes and the plans. Don't miss it. Your life is so important. It's so vital. This is like Jesus using that word that I talked about earlier. Pay attention. 
This is vitally important. Pay attention. God wants to work in your life and he loves you so much. We're going to sing a song now and it's that same song we sung last week. Uh, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. My troubled soul, why so cast down? You were not made to care, to, 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 what is it, to have, to hope to, what is it? To, to bear, that's it, to bear this heavy load. Cast all your burdens upon the Lord. I've missed a couple of lines there, but sure, that's okay. So if you want, you can stand if you like. It might be good if we would just stand this. Remember that John was the apostle who leaned on Jesus. And just let's sing the couple of lines first of all and just declare that we are going to consciously make a choice to lean on Jesus and to, to actually experience him doing this stuff in our lives and moving us into this joy of the Lord. Amen.